Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Natchan Rinpoche, Chapter 35, Part 2. By the time we got to the car park, the sun was shining through a faint drizzle and a vivid double rainbow arched across the sky. I alighted first in order to open the car door for Chimirixin Rinpoche, and by the time I opened his door, the rain had ceased. I'd seen Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche stop the rain in McLeod Gange on various occasions. He'd blow his kangling at the sky and the clouds would begin to move away. He'd usually have performed rites around the event, but the main thing seemed to be blowing that kangling at the sky. The thing I'd never seen, however, was turning the rain on and off like a tap. It reminded me of a story that Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche had told concerning Drukpa Kunli. Drukpa Kunli was passing through an arid region of Tibet. There'd been no rain for so long that the farmers were in pretty dire straits. They'd asked every monastery in the area to perform rites to cause rain, but they'd all failed. One day, Drukpa Kunli rolled into town, as was his wont, and someone recognised him. Aren't you the famous Drukpa Kunli? Drukpa Kunli laughed and acknowledged that he was indeed Drukpa Kunli. But for what am I supposed to be famous? For miracles, the local farmer replied. Oh, yeah, well, never mind about that. Just bring me some chum, will you? There's good fellow. I would if I could, but I can't, replied the man. There's been no rain, you see. No rain, no chunk. By this time, folks had started to gather around and they were all busy with the Aren't you the famous Drukpa Kunli number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the place that's famous for its lack of chunk, Drukpa Kunli answered. The village head then appeared and implored Drukpa Kunli to cause it to rain. Sure, replied Drukpa Kunli, anything to get a drop of chung on a hot day. Please let us know what you will need to perform the ceremony. You will be needing monks to play the tantric orchestra and... No, Drukpa Kunli interrupted, I won't need anything like that. But everyone knows that these things are indispensable and all the others required many materials and accoutrements. Oh yeah, sure they did. But they all failed, didn't they? Drukpa Kunli stated matter-of-factly. But how can it be possible to perform a ritual with nothing? We must at least provide you with an assistant. Yeah, 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 Drukpa Kunli yawned. Do you want rain or not? The village head merely stared, nonplussed. Look here, if it has to be that way, I'll take you as an assistant. As for material, I'll need a small sack of sampa flour. As for ritual equipment, I'll need a large ladle. The village head, obviously unhappy with such an eccentric arrangement, began to prevaricate. 
Drupal Kunli cut him off in mid-circumlocution. Look, it's either this or nothing, and I'll go find a place where they can give me a bowl of chunk. The village head reluctantly agreed, and a singular ceremony followed. Drupal Kunli lifted his shantab and exposed his posterior. He then instructed the village head to scoop up a ladle of sampa and to hold it just below his buttocks. Each time a ladle was held in line with his anus, Drukpa Kunli farted and blew the sampa into the air. This process continued until all the flour was gone. As the flour swirled in the air and into the sky, the villagers noticed clouds accumulating, and once the ceremony was over, the rain began to fall. The village head, delighted yet confused, exclaimed, This was a most unusual ceremony. Yeah, Drupa Kunli replied, and also entirely unnecessary. How can we ever thank you enough? We shall give the weight of the flour in gold. No thanks, I don't need it. Just collect some of that rain. Start making some goddamn chan before I expire from thirst. The story was interesting because it led to Kyabje Kunzangdorje Rinpoche teaching on the elements with respect to Dzogchen. He then imparted practices of the elements, such as Zerna and the moving elements. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche said, If your awareness is integrated with the nature of the elements, then rituals are irrelevant, but people do not understand this. This is why you always have to show rituals. If you show no rituals, people think you are ignorant. This is because most people are tomules. So, what happened next on Southern Down Beach? Well, the other cars had followed us and the occupants were bemused yet jubilant as they emerged from their vehicles. We unloaded the picnic hampers and set out across the escarpment of flat rock toward a place that Chimiritsin Rinpoche had indicated to be ideal. By the time we arrived on the wide area of flat rock, the sun was bright in the sky and, apart from some wispy clouds, the sky was entirely blue. We ate our picnic. There was much hilarity as Chimirixin Rinpoche regaled us with stories. After a while, when the picnic was more or less consumed, the entire group slipped into silence. Nothing had been arranged, but everyone seemed to be gazing either at the sea or sky. Then Rinpoche began to speak. The ocean is not defined by waves, he stated, pointing at the sea. Waves you can study forever, but you will find no definition of ocean there. Waves arise in the ocean. They are limitless like thoughts in mind. If you don't try to define ocean by studying waves, you will see waves and ocean are indivisible. 
No one moved. The scene was silent, even of seabirds. Rinpoche pointed up to the sky at that, to a point where there were a few clouds moving. Sky is vast, beyond limits, but there is endless movement. Clouds arise and dissolve, but sky is not affected by clouds, even when raining. Whether we see sky or not, it remains. It is unaltered by clouds, as the nature of mind is unaltered by thoughts. We sat in silence for a further 20 minutes, as the clouds reassembled themselves and the blue diminished. Then Rinpoche suddenly announced, Now we leave. The picnic hampers were packed up and we made our way back to the cars. I opened the car door for Rinpoche. He took his seat. I closed the door. The rain fell almost exactly on the click of the door. By the time I'd taken my seat, the downpour had recommenced. Rinpoche stayed a few nights more and we enjoyed his presence immensely. Many people came to visit and Rinpoche inquired of all of them as to their personal situation. I was always impressed by the personal attention he gave people and by his unstinting kindness. His role as wrathful Lama was something that he employed with consummate skill. One night he regaled us with a childhood story. He'd had a rather dry and crusty Gaykor, master of discipline, who seemed to live to catch him out in the acts of mischief he loved to perpetrate as a young boy. One day, after a long period of drought had blighted the area, he asked Rinpoche, Your previous incarnation was a great Chachupa who could bring rain. Can you also do this, or can you only make mischief? I can rain-making possible, Rinpoche replied casually. Can you show me and your monks how to do this? There is no doubt, Rinpoche replied, and proceeded to give the directions. You must be visualising you are very tall standing, rising up straight as blushing fair Yidam. Around your feet are many minions shimmering in form of black curling rays. When visualising is complete, you must be radiant, transparent halo having, descending overhead and all body covering. Then you must be up and down with strong rhythm moving and omba donga swaha chanting until much rain is coming. So the Gaykor and monks began to practice in this fashion until the Gaykor stood up and stalked out of the shrine room in disgust. The Gaykor, being more suspicious of Rinpoche than the monks, realised the implications of the visualisation. A penis sheathed with a condom, moving as if in coitus. The monks, however, had no such ideas 
and continued with the practice until they achieved the result. Ample rain fell and the farmers were all extremely well pleased. The monks thereafter were always, always able to procure rain when requested, but the gay corps was never able to do so. Rinpoche had many stories about jokes that tr transformed circumstances. And although I have never accomplished anything paranormal, I have always made the most of an ability to make people laugh. Rinpoche loved to make people laugh and could derive humour from almost any situation. Humour is extremely important with regard to teaching because when people laugh, they tend to remember the nature of what was imparted far more than if the presentation were dour. There was no limit to his humour and nowhere that he wouldn't go with it. On one occasion in London, there was a lovely gentleman called Ajita, who was dying of cancer. He was a dear disciple of Rinpoche and had come to the teaching in spite of being in an advanced stage of debility. Everyone there knew that Ajita was dying. When therefore Rinpoche announced, Ajita does not die. Some people took it as a sort of miraculous revelation of recovery. Most of the others were perplexed, apart from Ajita, who knew that his Sanskrit name meant deathless. It was moving to observe Rinpoche making such a harrowing jest and seeing that the jest was received with appreciation of the love that Rinpoche felt for his disciple. Rigsin drove Rinpoche back to London and the same thing occurred vis-à-vis -vis precipitation as had occurred at Southerndown. Every time the torrential rain slowed the traffic down to a crawl, and it came to Jimmy Riggsin Rinpoche's attention, the rain eased to the point where Riggsin could slide back to his habitual 90 miles per hour. Riggsin was famous for driving like a bat out of hell, and Rinpoche was concerned that Riggsin should not have to drive home in the dark. <laughs>